We would like to welcome you this morning to Mission Bible Fellowship as Pastor Stuart Guthrie brings a message from God's Word. We hope it challenges, encourages, and strengthens your walk with the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for teaching us your Word, giving us your Word, God, allowing us to have copy of the Holy Scriptures, your way of communicating with humanity today. We thank you for being a God who cares about each one of us as individuals, our struggles, our problems, our desires, the issues in which we each have. You are an all-knowing God, present at all times and God, we know your ways are good. And we thank you for all the people you are doing a good work in here in this congregation and throughout the world. Lord, I just want to thank you for the kids in this church, the youth, the young men, the young women that are living out their faith in school, among their friends, And Father, even with people, they have no clue who they're talking to. We thank you for those kids and we pray a blessing upon them. We pray you strengthen them, give them a heart to serve and to follow you. God, that their focus would be essentially on you. We pray for that for these kids here today. That their focus would be on you. Your ultimate purpose, God, for our lives is to glorify You. Help us to do that in our thoughts that we have. Every word that we say, every action that we do, may it, God, be honoring and glorifying to You. And I'm so encouraged, God, by Your Word as I'm stretched, as I'm as I grow each week, as we open the Word and we look into it and I study it diligently all week, and God, You teach me so many things and You begin to break things from me and You begin to stretch me and make me feel uncomfortable, and I thank You for that. Your call, God, is a call to action. To be transformed more and more into the image of Christ and... Sometimes, God, I have to deal with things in myself before I can preach with a clear conscience. And I'm thankful that You, God, draw me closer and closer to You each week. May this message be pleasing to You. And may it draw someone. May it put them in a place where they can be challenged, convicted by Your Holy Spirit to be drawn closer into a relationship with You, closer made into the image of Christ. And Father, I just pray that You strengthen me, fill me with Your Holy Spirit, and work through me that I might bring glory to Your name. And I ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, this morning I want to talk about the heart. We're going to be looking at a text of Scripture in 1 Samuel. And so if you will, turn with me to 1 Samuel 16. We're going to be looking at 1 Samuel 16, 1-13. It's a large portion of text. I want to read it. 
And then I want to give you a context of what's going on before we get to chapter 16. So without further delay, let us get right into the text this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 16, 1-3. And for those who are new to the Bible, it's in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1-13. to Let us read. Now the Lord said to Samuel... How long will you grieve over Saul, since I've rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have selected a king for myself among his sons. But Samuel said, How can I go? When Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. You shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint me, for me the one whom I designate to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, Do you come in peace? He said, in peace, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves. Come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons, invited them to the sacrifice. And when they had entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature, Because I have rejected him. For man looks at the outward appearance. God does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadad and made him pass before Samuel when he said, Lord, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Next, Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. And then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are these all the children? And he said, Well, there remains yet the youngest. And behold, he is tending the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we not sit down until he comes. And so he sent and brought him in. And Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. This morning I want to take a verse by verse or section by section look at this portion of Scripture. But before we're going to get into that, we really need to understand (coughs) what has happened prior to chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. And so really I want to set the context, I I want to bring you up to speed of what's going on here. 
I think it's important that we understand a few characters that, that, that fall in 1 Samuel. There's a, a woman by the name of Hannah. There's a, a guy by the name of Eli, and he's the priest. You have Samuel, the son of Hannah. You have Saul, the king, that was given to Israel as a request, or, or should I say a demand. And then there's David, the king in whom God chose. We read about this young woman, Hannah, in chapter 1. She's a barren woman. She's unable to have children. And Elkanah, her husband, says it, that he loved her dearly. And every year they would go and, and make sacrifices to the Lord and, and he would make sacrifices for his son and for his wife. But for Hannah, he would make a double portion. He had two wives, Hannah and Panana. And Panana was unable to have children, was able to have children, but Hannah again was unable. But there was a special love for this woman. Hannah was greatly di distressed at the fact of her inability to have children. And she prayed to the Lord, and it says that she wept bitterly before him. She made a vow to God that she would give her son to the Lord all the days of his life if the Lord would simply bless her with a son. And God in His amazing mercy and grace, His unsearchable ways, what do you think He does? He hears the cry of her heart. He hears the prayers in which she's bringing up to Him. And God blesses Hannah, this barren woman, unable to have children with a son. She names this son Samuel. In Hebrew, which means God heard. And so God raised Samuel up to be a prophet, a priest, a judge, under the leadership of Eli the priest. And after the death of Eli, God made him a judge. And He says in Scripture that He judged Israel all the days of His life. And as Samuel became older and had children, he placed his children as judges over Israel. But something happened within his children that they didn't walk in the ways of the Lord. And the people began to murmur and demand, we want a king. Like every other people has a king. And so Samuel prayed to God and he said, God, what should I do? And God said, listen to all they have to say. Listen to what they have to say. For they haven't rejected you, but they have rejected me as king. You see, God was their king. But they wanted a king like all the other kings. And so God instructed Samuel to warn them of what this new king was going to bring into the kingdom of Israel. But nevertheless, they failed to listen to Samuel, and said, no, we will have a king over us. One who fights battles for us. One who goes out before us. And so in chapter 10, you now see we have a king. And God says to Samuel, listen to their voice. Do as they say, appoint for them a king. And so thou this man, this king, Saul, in chapter 10, we see chooses. 
is chosen by the Lord and now publicly made king before Israel. Long live the king, they screamed. Chapter 13, as we draw closer to 16, we see this king Saul sin by giving up a burnt offering to the Lord in which he was not a priest. And so in those days, the priest was the only ones who could bring forth a, a burnt offering, but in his impatience, he says, let's do it. And as he was in the middle of doing it, Samuel came to him, What are you doing? Well, you know, I was waiting on you, but you took a little too long, and the, and, 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 and the battleground started building, and it became more of against my odds, and so I went ahead and did the sacrifice to the Lord. And Samuel said, Listen, I said I'd meet you, but Saul got too big for his britches. In chapter 14, we see King Saul. His son Jonathan had victory in the power of the Lord over the Philistines. But Saul, in his prideful being, tried to take that victory. He tried to take credit for that. <clears throat> in chapter 15, we see Saul going astray from God as he disobeys the Lord's commands. And here in chapter 15, God instructs Samuel to tell him just what he was to do. Right here, God says, Samuel, tell Saul what he is to do. And in 1 Samuel 15, <clears throat> verse 3, it says this, now go and strike Amalek to, and utterly destroy all that he has. Do not spare him, but put to death both man, woman, child, infant, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. I want you to completely annihilate these folks. Saul, that was the command of God. But Saul, again, sins against God. He does what he thinks is right instead of doing what God has commanded him to do. He doesn't fulfill what God has called him to do, but he saves the best sheep and the oxen and their leader, Agag. And he says, I did it so I could sacrifice to the Lord. And when Samuel calls him out on it, he says this in 1 Samuel 15, 20-21. Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord. I went on the mission in which the Lord sent me. And I have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekite. But the people took some of the spoils. Catch that. The people took some of the spoils, sheep and oxen of the choice, things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God, Gilgal. You know, it's funny how this man begins to suffer from the sin syndrome. He, he, he forgets his role. 
He's simply to do what God commands him to do. And he starts blaming people. Well, the people did this, and for your God, they made sacrifices. You know, I'm not even in the text this morning. I feel like I'm preaching. How many times do we do this? God instructs us to do something in His Word. We read it, we understand it, but we do it differently. Because it really makes no sense to us. It seemed right to Saul not to do these things, to keep the best, because they're the best and we can add to what God has called us to do. Listen, God instructs us to do something in His Word. We read it, we should do it. God didn't need Saul to do anything but what He said. What He instructed, what He commanded, what He had ordered, what He had charged Saul to do. That would have brought glory to God. We need to learn from this as well, I believe. To do things the way God tells us to do them. He tells us what to do in His Word. But Saul disobeys. Samuel rebukes Saul. He's the prophet, the judge, and the priest. And he says to Saul, Listen, you've rejected the Word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And so Samuel, with unfinished business... He goes to Saul and says, Bring me Agag, the one you were supposed to destroy. Bring him to me. And it says that Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord. Now that's pretty brutal if if you want my opinion. But that's what it says. Not my words, the Lord's words. He said he hacked them to pieces. And it says that Samuel... And Saul, at that point, went in different directions. Saul went to Gibeah and Samuel to Ramah. And it says that Samuel grieved over Saul. And that's the context. That's what's happened from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 15. And now we're going to look into our passage of Scripture this morning. Three things I want you to take with you today. From chapter 16, verses 1 to 13, God instructed Samuel to do something. God instructed Samuel to do something. God guided Samuel in doing something. And God commanded Samuel to do something as well. Those are the three points. Our first point we'll look at is God instructed Samuel to do something. Verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have selected a king for myself among his sons. Now listen, being that God has now rejected King Saul, what is he going to do? He begins to now... Build the process of refilling the position as king. Though Saul may in his mind have thought, well, I'm still the king. I'm I'm still in control just because God said that I'm no longer going to be the king. Right now, I'm still the king. It says that God said to Samuel, 
I don't think there's anything new in this passage that we haven't seen throughout all of the Old Testament, but specifically in 1 Samuel, we see God speaking to His prophet throughout the last 15 chapters. But here, God instructed him to do something. He starts out with a question. How long will you grieve over Saul? I want us to understand we can't miss this. The sin of Saul cost him the kingdom, but it also cost a friend to grieve. There's nothing more sorrowful than seeing a man go astray, a soul go astray from God. It grieved God so much that it says that he regretted that he had ever made Saul king over Israel. Listen, your sins and my sins cause grief in the lives of loved ones and in the lives of people we have no idea who they affect. We need to get that. Samuel grieved. But God doesn't leave him there. He says, listen, here's the instruction. Stop grieving. Listen to the instructions. Fill your horn with oil. And I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have selected a king for myself among his sons. Listen, God is in control. And this passage tells us that he has a plan. He has selected a king for himself. He says, I'm taking over. You wanted something last time, Israel. I gave you what you wanted. You didn't heed the warnings in which I instructed you. Although I selected the king for you, God selected Saul, it says. But he says, now I'm going to select for myself a king. I'm going to select for myself a king. But Samuel said, how can I go? In verse 2, when Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Samuel knows that Saul's not right with God. He understands that he has a bad heart. All of these things of pride. All of these things of impatience. All of these things that he had committed sins in the previous chapter proves he didn't have a good heart. Samuel knows that. In his eyes, Saul still thinks he's the king and any threat against his kingship would not come lightly. And Samuel understands that. And so he's fearful. But you know what surprises me? That a man that is the prophet of God, a judge, a priest, that has seen God, has talked directly with God, can be fearful in the instructions of the Lord. He's fearful for his life. He says, when he hears of it, he'll kill me. I can't. How can I go? Well, God has given him instruction. How can he be fearful? Let me ask you a question. Do you ever become fearful in your lives when God instructs you to do something? 
When you receive an instruction for the Lord through your word, you understand that it says that God spoke to Samuel. And while you might not hear a direct voice from God, He speaks to us through His word. And when we read the Word, God speaks to us. He commands us to do things. He commands us to change our lifestyles. He commands us to do this and this and this. And sometimes it can be plain fearful. But I want you to understand something. He doesn't leave Samuel thinking that Saul will kill him. In this midst of fear... God comforts him. And so God does in our lives as well. He gives us promises throughout His Word that if we do what He calls us to do, He gives us promises that bring us joy and peace. And here God continues to give Samuel the instruction. He says in verse 3, You shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. Listen, God is very specific. And He says, You shall invite. It can mean you shall call. It's the same word used when, when God, I don't know if you remember, we didn't talk about it, but in the beginning of 1 Samuel, God calls Samuel in his sleep. He's sleeping in the temple. There Eli's with him. God says, Samuel, Samuel. Huh? He gets up, he runs into Eli, says, Eli, yes sir, I'm here. What, what, you called me, what do you need? Dude, I didn't call you, go back to sleep. So he goes back to sleep and God says, Samuel, Samuel, he gets up again, he does it three times, and finally Eli catches on, I get it, God's speaking to you, it's not me, brother. Next time he asks you, Samuel, Samuel, you say, I'm here, Lord, what can I do for you? And that's what he does. It's the same thing. You shall invite, you shall call. He says, I will show you this can mean, I will make it known to you. He didn't leave him to make a choice for himself. No, God said, I will cause you to know. And God will do the same for us in our lives. Listen, if you're here this morning and God has called you to do something specific, and I can honestly say, if we're in the Word, and we're learning and we're studying and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, God communicates with us. I would not be in Montana if God did not communicate with me. It was a hard decision, but God, in His mercy, says, if I just do what He says, I'll have peace. I'll have joy. I'll have comfort. I'll have love. All of these great promises. What has God called you to do this morning that seems uncomfortable? But you know it's biblical. You know it's godly. He's shown you in His Word. God says, I will cause you to know. Don't miss that. Do you remember in Exodus 4.10 when, when God called Moses and Moses was saying, Please, Lord, please. I, I've, I've never been eloquent. 
Neither recently nor in past times nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. Did God leave him? Or did God continue to instruct him? Did God make him go out on his own way and said, Son, I told you what to do. Go do it and I'm not going to give you any comfort. No. God called Aaron to be the mouthpiece of Moses. Exodus 4.15 says this. Listen, it's, it's kind of unique. He says, you were to speak to him. God said, you might now be eloquent, but at least you can talk to your brother. You are going to talk, speak to him. Put the words in his mouth. And I, even I, will be with your mouth and his mouth, and I will teach you what you are to do. God didn't leave him in the open. God said... I'm going to help you. And that's what he does. God may not wake you up in the middle of the night. He may not call your name in the middle of the night. He may, but he may not. God may not speak to you while you are in need. But remember, God has already spoken. He has spoken to us through his word. And without this, we're in big trouble. God's Word is powerful. It's His way of communicating with us today. We've been given a Word and the Holy Spirit. I want to ask you this morning, are you in the Word? Did you even bring your Bible to church this morning? We are in church Sunday morning. And it's so vitally important that we bring this. These slides are not the Bible. They're the words of God. But God has given you a privilege to carry this. To use it openly. Bring your word to church and follow along. And God might just speak to you. Are you reading the Word? Are you in? Are you praying? John 14.26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I said to you. And lo, I'm with you always. God speaks to us through His Word. Just as he spoke to Samuel. Do you talk to God through prayer, through his word? Are you listening to man? Or are you listening to God? And when God gives instruction through his word, he wants us to obey it. He wants us to obey it. And Samuel did. So Samuel, it says in verse 4, did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem. We see God instructed Samuel to do something. But we also see that in that instruction, God guided Samuel in doing something. God guided Samuel. I choose, chose the word guide here because I want you to see that God was working through Samuel. God's word works 
through His people. God works through His people. God worked through Moses. Did God need Moses to, to split the Red Sea? Of course He didn't need Moses to split the Red Sea. But did He use Moses? Yes. Yes. We are the tools in which God uses to feel, fulfill His purpose within our lives. That's why it's important that we rely on God. Not man. God is the one working through you. God is. And verse 4 and 5 says, So Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem. <coughs> and the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, Do you come in peace? He said, In peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves. Come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse, his sons, and invited them to the sacrifice. I don't know about you, but I ask myself, Why in the world are these people trembling? What are they scared of? What is it? Well, I'm sure that Samuel, the prophet, had a reputation. Just remember, it was just a short time before the arrival of Samuel that he hacked up Agag. And I'm sure the word got out on the street that this dude is crazy. He's hacking up people. And so it says they came trembling. And how are we? How was he now coming with a sacrifice to the Lord after doing this. He fulfilled the purpose of God. He wasn't worried about what other people were thinking. He knew God had commanded this to be done and so he did it. And the people were trembling and so now we see him coming with a sacrifice. And so what they really wanted to know was you coming in peace? Are you coming in peace? And Samuel quickly tells them yes. He says, tell them, he says to them, consecrate yourselves. Come with me to a sacrifice. And he also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them. In preparation for this sacrifice, Samuel instructed the elders to consecrate themselves. And I don't know about you, but consecration didn't really mean a lot to me. So I felt like leaving you hanging with that. Maybe I should give you what that is. Consecration is simply... Placing yourself under a condition of ritual cleanliness. They wanted to clean themselves before they made a sacrifice, before they went into the temple. And so entering into this ritual cleanliness basically was, was, was a normally involved bathing, cleaning yourself, uh, putting on clean clothes, uh, temporarily withholding from any sexual activity, as well as avoiding any contact with dead bodies. This is what it was to be consecrated. And so he invites them. Consecrate yourselves. But he, he says this to Jesse. He also consecrated Jesse. He, Samuel told them, consecrate yourselves. But for Samuel, he went to the house of Jesse and invited him and consecrated it. He was a part of it. And he personally invited them. And I thought, as I was thinking about this, I thought, how great we have it. How great is it that Christ has become our sacrifice once and for all? That's what it says in Hebrews 10.10. 10. 
You don't have to wash. You don't have to shower. You don't have to smell perfumey. Christ became our perfect, sinless sacrifice. And as I read this, I'm grateful that Christ took my place, your place on the cross at Calvary. He's our high priest. And we can come to Him just as we are. Rebels, we can come. Full of sin, we can come. Stained and dirty, we can all come to the foot of the cross without having to wash and be fashioned into some pretty little outfit. Christ has become our sin and the sacrifice once and for all. But Samuel was under a different thing. He wasn't under the new covenant, he was under the old covenant. And so Samuel wanted to make sure that nothing got in the way of fulfilling his task to God, which he commanded him. God was guiding Samuel. But listen, Samuel just about blew it. He just about blew it. They were prepared, consecrated, and now ready for this. And verse 6 and 7 says this, When they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or in the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. When, we, when he saw Eliab, the firstborn, and observed his tall stature, his handsome little face, Qualities in which Samuel, if you remember, had already admired in Saul. Saul was a tall man, handsome. This must be him. He's about to do the same thing. And he said, Surely he's the Lord, the Lord's anointed is before him. And before Saul could reach out with his horn of oil to anoint this man, God stops him. Look, the Lord alone has the capacity and ability to observe and judge a person's heart. That is the thoughts, the emotions, the will, the complete design of man. The, the Hebrew word for heart is leb. If you remember, we preached on it, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, your whole being. On God's scales, these things are more important than all other aspects of humanity. The heart, the mind, the will. God knows your heart. Every one of you. He knows my heart. He knows your thoughts. He knows my thoughts. He knows your intent. He knows my intent. And just like Saul, Many want to be known for their righteousness before men while their heart is wicked above all else. Listen, I have junk in my heart. There's no reason to try to hide that from you because you can't see it, but God can see it. I have junk in my heart. Listen, I might not know your heart, but God knows what's going on inside of there. For sure. Luke 6, 45, 
I, I like this verse. It says, The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth that what is good. The evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth that what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. We need to be so aware of what's going inside of there. As individuals, we need to know what's going on inside of our heart. That is why God rejected Elam. Because it wasn't enough to look the part. God knew He couldn't be the part. He couldn't play the part. And I wonder sometimes if we don't even know what's going on inside of our own heart. Listen. Please understand. Preaching from admonishment. I deal with this. As I sat down in front of this text, I said, God, is this me? Is the, am I the one? Am I the soul who lives his life trying to be glorified and glorify God? Am I doing it for man or am I doing it for you? I can't work that out in your heart. You can't work that out in my heart. Only God can. And my question is, do we even know what's going on inside of our hearts? Sometimes I don't think we do. What sins have we brought in and hid within our hearts? What sins? I love David. You know, as he wrote this psalm in 51.10. He was aware of what he needed. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. <clears throat> I hope over the next several weeks that we can become more aware of the heart issues in which we all deal with. So we can stop this behavior modification within our lives. It's become so clear to me with children of young ages. So much of my parenting is behavior modification. It's like beating my head against the dash when the oil light goes off. What is the light doing? Stop doing that! Stop it! I've never addressed the issue. The issue's under the trunk. Why do I sin? Because there's an issue. Do I know the issue? No. But we need to know the issues. Would it not be nice to go when, well, if I did this or I did this, ding! I know what it is. It's greed. It's pride. It's lust. It's adultery. Whatever the problem is, is in here. The outward is not the problem. The inward's the problem. Immodesty is the outward expression of something going on inside that ain't right. 
We can say, you need to wear dresses down your knees. Guys, you need to wear button-up collars with t-shirts. Are we fixing the problem? No. We're addressing an issue. We're beating our head against the light on the dash instead of going, we need to put oil in the car. We need to know these things so that we can grow closer to Christ. That we can be more made into the image of Christ. That's my prayer. For myself, for this church, to search us, O God. To know our ways. Try us and know our anxious thoughts. Listen, we cannot see the heart of men. But God can. And we can ask God to create within us a new heart. One of love, compassion, truth, and of faith. And make us be holy before God. That's my desire. And so God said, no, I know the heart of this man, no. And in verse 8, 9, and 10, we read, Jesse called Abinadad and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse made Shema pass by and, and he said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen these. The Lord has not chosen these. And because God had not made it known to him, any of these sons were the one, God had to continue to guide him on through. He didn't settle on the one that was in the room. He didn't say, you know what, they're all here. I see all of the sons. I told him to bring his kids. They're all here. I missed it. i got to choose one. It's this one. Maybe it's this one. That's a good one. No, he didn't do that. He relied on God. He listened to God. He, God instructed him. And then God was guiding him. And he said, you know what, these aren't the ones. Something ain't right. And so what's he do? Verse 11 says, and then Samuel said to Jesse, are these... Are these all, all of these are the children? Are these all of them? And he said, Well, <laughs> there remains the youngest. And behold, he is tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. Here you have the youngest outdoing what his father has commanded him to do, has instructed him to do. And that was to serve and tend the sheep. A shepherd boy. And you could almost see the excitement on Samuel's face as he stood before these boys. And he said, well, there's one more in the field. I forgot to bring him in. Oh, oh, bring him in. We will not sit down until he comes in here. Go get him. You can see the excitement on Samuel's face. God instructed Samuel to do something. God guided Samuel in doing it. And now, we are about to see that God commanded Samuel to do something. Let's read verse 12. 
He said and brought him in. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and handsome in appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for he, this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Do you see we have a contrast here? Saul was a great man of height. Looked like a king. And here we have this ruddy little boy that's still cute in appearance. He's got a baby face. He's got reddish hair. He's the last one God commands. Arise, anoint him. Right in the midst of his brothers. And as I was studying this this morning, it dawned on me. Why did he anoint him right in the middle of his brothers? Well, if you remember, a few years down the road, when David went to battle against Goliath, who gave him the hardest time? They missed the anointing. His brother, David, was anointed right in the midst of them. And it says that the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David. They couldn't understand what was happening. But David didn't miss it. David got the anointing. Isn't it just like God to choose the least likely? Isn't it? Doesn't God seem to do that quite often? If you're here this morning, listen. If you can't read well, if you can't spell well, if you can't do arithmetic well, if you're not a good athlete, if you're a really poor singer, this is a message for you. Listen. God uses those who are least likely to succeed. Why? Because He can be glorified through it. Let me tell you what. I graduated with a 1.7. I never in my life thought that God would have me speaking before people. I can barely read. That's why He gave me the audio Bible. You see, God chose people like Moses, slow in speech. God used them. David, fallen into adultery. God used them. Fishermen, God used them. Paul, a Christian persecutor, God used him. A normal man by the name of Abraham was called to leave everything that he had. God used him. Gideon, a man that was least expected, called mighty man of valor, God used him. And the prophet Amos answered a critic by saying, Listen, I wasn't a prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of the sycamore tree. But the Lord took me from following the flock. And the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Basic people being used for the kingdom work. Don't you ever say you can't be good enough for God. God doesn't... You know, sometimes people are so strong that they're of no good. They're too strong for themselves. 
God wants the weak people so that he can bring glory and honor to himself. God commanded Samuel to choose this one. He didn't have to understand it. He didn't have to approve of it. He simply had to be obedient to the command of God. God is in control. And it's our job as followers of Jesus Christ to do what we are commanded, even if it makes no sense. We are in safe place relying on God in His Word. There's safety there. Do you get that? There's safety there. I'm hurrying up for those who don't want to be here. We're almost done. God is in control. And though Christ was the least likely to the Jewish people, God says we are to place our faith in Him. Jesus didn't come like what was expected. God says we are to place our faith in Him. And His Word says that we need to repent and to turn to God. Christ. Have you done that this morning? Have you done that? Listen. Christ wasn't what it looked like. As I slid in here earlier, they had Louis Giglio on. He was talking about the birth of Christ. It wasn't the ideal setting. Christ didn't look like what He was supposed to look like. But God has commanded that we are the ones that to believe in Him. This is my Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Nathaniel said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. This morning I ask you, have you come to see Christ, the King, the least likely? Our King was a servant whom died on the cross and God used Him to save mankind to those that would call on His name. to those that would receive Him. Have you done that? Listen, I can't judge your heart. I don't know where you are in Christ. But 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says this, Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. And at that time, each will receive his praise. We can hide it in here all we want. And we can look sharp. And we can fool everybody around us. But God knows our heart. And he knows this morning... If you're relying on yourself to be saved or if you're relying on Christ. 
And I would waste your time if I didn't give you that opportunity this morning to cry out to God. Save even a sinner such as me. Would you do that this morning? Let us pray.